Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. This is Carl Kennedy from The Raj, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast, home of all things hard rock and heavy metal. I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. Now, let's get things started with the Talking Metal theme song, written by Rob Halford, Metal Mike, and Roy Z. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and on today's show, we welcome back Carl Kennedy of The Rods. He is here to talk about his new project, St. James, his new band, I guess I'd call it St. James, and we also talk about Lemmy, we talk about, of course, The Rods, and we talk about Anthrax, um, and we also talk about, believe it or not, Scientology. So we will be getting into that interview in just a bit. But first, let me uh, check in with my co-host for this episode, a guy who uh, hasn't been on the show in a while, and I'm glad he's finally back with us, Victor. Victor Ruiz. How are you, Victor? I'm doing good, Mark. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, uh, I've had a handful of emails or tweets, or, or I think there's even a Facebook review, or not Facebook, iTunes review where people mention you and uh, somebody in an email said they missed have, that you weren't on the show. And I started thinking about it, and I was like, I missed not having Victor on the show, too. So we got to get him back. So I'm glad you are, are back for this episode. And what, what have you been up to lately? Can you fill us in on um, what's happening with you podcast-wise? 
Sure. I mean, I'm still um, doing Mars Attacks. Um, we haven't had an episode out in a few weeks, but that's because of server difficulties more than anything. There should be an, a new episode out this week. Cool. Uh, also been doing a another show called Galaxy of Geeks, which is all uh, sci-fi related stuff. Um, yeah, I heard, I heard it. I heard two episodes of that, and I, I actually I, I was pretty impressed. I really liked what you guys were doing, and uh, thought that it was uh, you know just a good discussion. The guy you do the show with, he's in he's in New Jersey, right? Yeah, he's actually uh, in Rockaway, New Jersey. Somebody that I went to college with, actually, that I hooked up, uh, actually, sort of by accident. Uh, he was mentioned on. An episode of Decibel Geek podcast, and um, I I sent them a, a direct tweet and said, "Hey, are you the Chris Vaglio that went to you know CCM during this year or whatever?" And we reconnected and wow, uh, a few months, world. yeah, absolutely. And then a few months back, I said, "You know, I'd I'd really like to do a show that." touches upon all these different things that I'm into that has nothing to do with music, all these series and movies and different things. And, and he was down with it. And, and the idea was we originally started out with four hosts and it's almost impossible to get the four of us together. So usually it's the two of us or at least one of the two of us with, um, with some other guest. And, um, he's also a, uh, he, he owns a, um, a small, I mean, I don't know how you would call it, um, a production company that makes commercials and right. uh, they do shorts and things of that nature. Um, they actually just won an award this weekend down in Atlantic City for a short that they did called The White Spruce that was shot up all in, in Morris County. Nice. So, and, uh, and tell us the name of the podcast you do with him again. It is called Galaxy of Geeks. And where can, can people find it online? Yeah, they could find it on iTunes, or you could go to the homepage, which is galaxyofgeeks.net. Nice. So I was uh, I was out at a bar last night with some friends, and man, just spent like an hour talking about Star Wars. So maybe we'll maybe you and I will come back and talk a little bit about that before we wrap up today's episode. But right now, I want to uh, actually get into some music. This is Madhouse by Anthrax off the Spreading the Disease album, an album that was uh, produced or at least co-produced by, by today's guest, Carl Kennedy of uh, The Rods fame. So here we go, a little Madhouse by Anthrax. <laughs>
what you just heard was Madhouse by Anthrax off the Spreading the Disease record, a, a record that I really love. I mean, I, I think my two favorite Anthrax records are Spreading the Disease and, um, you know, Among the Living. And and I really like most of their catalog. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Anthrax too, right, Victor? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'll be quite honest, I lean more towards... Uh, the years that John Bush was in the band, yeah. But um, I mean, as far as the um, the original run with Joey, I would say that uh, spreading the disease is my second favorite out of out of that run. I would say right, persistence right. of time is my first. But it it all has to do with when you know with with a lot of these albums when it connects with you emotionally and everything. And I mean, those were albums that were going on during my high school years and things that were. You know, behind when they may have connected with you. So right, right on. You know, it's a great song. I actually just had the the disc in my car and was was cranking it. It's uh, a random acts of senseless violence uh, off the uh, the Stomp four four two record. That that record, you know, at the time when it came out, I really didn't dig it that much because it sounded like they were trying so hard to be something that they weren't. But now. Right. That I go back with fresh years many years later, um, you know, I, I was partly inspired by Scott Ian's book, reading about the, the production of that record, uh, you know, and I went back and kind of rediscovered it. I really think there's some great stuff on that record. Was that a record that, that hit you strongly when it, when it uh, in a positive light, when it first was released back in, uh, what, 1990? I'm trying to think when that, probably 95, I think. Yeah, it was around there, ninety four, ninety five. I think. Yeah, that makes about that makes sense. Um, that song and fueled fueled was the first thing that I, that I heard, which was the first single. Right. And right. those two songs are, I think, some of their best in their catalog. Right. Um, the rest of the album, similar to what you said, initially it took me a while to get into some of the tracks, but. Um, going back and listening to their catalog not that long ago, and I, I mean, I do that maybe like once a year. I'll go back and hit absolutely everything by them and, and other artists, and it really has a lot of like darker songs, things that sound different, but at the same time are still really heavy. Uh, if if you really think about it, a lot of people seem to say, well, that's you know, it's a grunge album, or it really doesn't fit this, or it doesn't fit that. I and mean, it's almost cool that it doesn't do that, that it isn't a second attempt at, you know, Among the Living or, or something like that, or even Sound of White Noise. It's almost yeah, like... Yeah, it's a, a progression which, or definitely yeah. goes somewhere a little different than, than Sound of White Noise, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. And, you know, while, while we're here, why don't we hit that song right now? Because it, it, is, it, is it is a good one. The one you mentioned, Fueled off of the Stomp 442 record by Anthrax going back to 1995. Music written by Charlie, lyrics by Scott and John. This is 90s era Anthrax with Fueled.
heard was fueled by anthrax and i am joined here by victor ruez co-host and host of numerous podcasts including mars attacks and galaxy of geeks right victor that's it yep cool where can people get in touch in touch with you on online uh if twitter they, and facebook yeah twitter uh would be just uh vmr 907 is probably the easiest um because that's like the the generic way of reaching me without going through one of the the show twitters and uh i'm up there on on facebook and it's actually the exact same thing facebook.com forward slash vmr 907 excellent this is a band called saint james it features carl kennedy on drums and the song is called worth fighting for i think this is good stuff the album's called resurgence and uh Carl is going to tell us all about St. James. So let's check out this song. Uh, go support St. James. Buy their stuff legally online or, or on, you know, on Amazon or at the, at the CD store, however you get your music. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned for my interview following this song with uh, Carl Kennedy. And, again, this song is Worth Fighting For by St. James.
Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast. And joining us on the line, we have Carl Kennedy. And he is known mostly for his music with the Rods. But that track we just heard was called Worth Fighting For, a great track. I really love it. It's by the band St. James. And Carl is also the drummer in St. James. Hey, Carl, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Good to speak with you. Good to speak with you. We had you on the show back in late 2004, and we really went into a lot of the Rod's history and and all about that great band. So I wanted to hit a couple other topics in this interview today. Uh, we'll definitely get an update on the Rod's from you. But let's start with uh, St. James. I, I got the, the record sent over to me, the new album, Resurgence, and very impressive, very somewhat different from the rods i would say and i just wanted to talk to you about this this band or project i'm not exactly sure how how you're envisioning it um can you fill us in a little bit about saint james and the history you know saint james i started a production company with uh, gary delaire and uh my now deceased good friend charles sanowski and we started a recording studio and a production company so I was, the Rods were on hiatus. I was looking for bands to produce, and I was also looking for a, a band, you know, a project. I was really, the Rods were really inactive. Everybody was off doing their own thing. And uh, St. James came in on the radar, and uh, they found us and sent us some uh, recordings. And so, you know, in listening to them, I thought, oh, this band really has something. So I said, let's bring them in and uh, brought them into the studio. And as it turned out, and I love them, and I love I loved them as people. I thought they were great songwriters, great musicians. Um, they had a problem. <laughs> they didn't have a drummer. So I thought, right. hey, this is a great, great opportunity for me as well, so producing them. But initially, and, and let me back up a little bit, they had a drummer. But the drummer was, first of all, he was... Um, and I'm not being disparaging in any way, but he wasn't as strong as the other guys. And I, I don't know that I should, even should say wasn't as strong. I don't think that he was dialed into their music the okay. way they were hoping he would be. So we got we did pre-production with him, and he got the flu. He came down with the flu. And uh, subsequently, I wound up with the flu. Deathly ill. My friend called it dengue fever. Bob Akaviva wow. manages a band, Wicked, uh, which said, check out Wicked if you get a chance. Or okay. Band. Kind of a retro thing with a modern, you know, twist on things. Or cool band. All right. But uh, Bob took care of me while I was sick. I was just dying. His family would bring me food. I finally went to the hospital. So once I recovered, we were out of time. The guys had to go. I was, you know, we were running out of studio time because at the time I was sharing two weeks on, two weeks off with um, the building owner before I bought a building. So we were running out of time. We had a day left. So I, the drummer had gone. He was so sick. He had gone home long before. So I came in and played drums on the first first album, and I knocked it out in a day. Fortunately, we'd done pre-production. I knew all the songs, knew the arrangements, and because I was involved in all of that. And that's kind of how it went. So they needed a drummer. Um, wanted me to play live. I mean, I just had production duties, so unable to do that. And so we just kept recording. And so as time went on, it just was, I was always the drummer and they would just use drummers live. And, you know, we're hoping that if we got a recording contract, 
Yeah, we could go do dates. And sadly, we, we were close so many times and just couldn't land a good deal. And then, you know, so it turned out that we, we just really never wound up doing dates. I just couldn't go out on the road with them. And it was, it just became a, like a little secret, you know, right. nobody knew it was my project with the band. And, uh, but, you know, I'm hoping now that it's out and we're talking about possibly doing some dates, which I'm really excited about. And who are the guys in the band? Do you, you got, you got, uh, John on vocals, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and who else is, is in the band with you? Bob, Bob and Jim, Bob is guitar, or Bob is bass guitar. Jim's lead in, rhythm guitar and uh, those two are brothers and uh, me cool cool excellent so dates aren't firmed up yet you're you're kind of waiting for for the album is the album out at this point or is it is it going to be released it's going to be released and i can't announce it yet but we we've uh, we're in final negotiations with a label okay hallelujah the band finally has a label Excellent. Well, exciting stuff. And again, we we heard one of the tracks here worth fighting for. Um, and a lot of it's a it's a big record. It's got a lot of tracks, and it, and they're all really really good. How how would you describe the the difference musically between say like Saint James and what you do with the Rods? I think that uh, the rod the Rods is really. We're really a musical band, but the Rods are just so high energy. Whereas St. James is more musical in the studio, but very high energy live. You know, they're a great show live, and they're really energetic live. But but in the studio, the songs are more involved, I would say, and, um, you know, possibly more melodic. John's a great singer and able to take the songs places that um, we probably don't do vocally with the Rods. even though David and I write that way, so in, you know, but for the rods itself, you notice our solo albums have different uh, melody lines. So I think that's the big difference between the two bands. But that, that's what I love about St. James. Uh, Jimmy is the, the main songwriter in the band, although, you know, everybody contributes, but um, he's such a great songwriter. I mean, he's so prolific as well. I mean, we have so much more material. So uh, Cool. Well, yeah. Is there, a, you know, I was poking around online um, trying to find out information about the band St. James, and I got to tell you, it was a little, little hard for me to come up with with very much information. Is there, is there a website set up yet? Do you know, or a Facebook page? There is a Facebook page. There's a St. James Facebook page, um, so people can go to that. Okay. And All right. Yeah, give it a like. I will. Uh, I will find out what that is, and I'll have it. This is for the listeners. I'll have that linked through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com, so we can all go over and and give it a, a like and get acquainted with St. James, which has some really strong music. Um, I wanted to talk to you about earlier this year uh, a Lemmy tribute that that you were involved with. For uh, it was the cover of Ace of Spades. Can you tell us a little bit about who was involved in that and how uh, how it came about? You know, years ago, I did a, an album called Thrasher, and I'd been a fan of TKO, and I love Brad Sinsel's voice. So Brad came in and did a couple of tracks for the Thrasher album he sang, and we became friends, and we've been fr- remained friends all these years. And when Lemmy died, 
Brad wanted to do a tribute. So TKO guys wanted to do something. They asked me if I would be interested in joining them on drums, which I was thrilled to do. And that's how it came about. I mean, it's Bryn Aarons and uh, Rick Pierce and Evan Shealy, and of course, Brad Sensel and myself. And uh, it was something we did quickly and just, uh, you know, because we all loved, loved Lemmy and, and Motorhead. Yeah. Very sad that he's that he's gone, but you know. Did you know Lemmy? Did you know him personally? You know, we did we did a date with uh, Motorhead once, and Lemmy hung out after. And uh, you know, he was just the nicest guy. Is that, you know, I think Lemmy. The thing that I, I like the most about Lemmy and respect the most about Lemmy is that he is he was the real deal. You know, and I mean that was the thing with Lemmy. Like I remember us actually being. Well, first of all, they were the loudest freaking band. I mean, they were so loud. Um, they were, when we finished our set, I was outside with fans, and we were doing a live album at that time. So we're, I was talking to engine engineer, and uh, we were outside, and we were yelling at each other because they were so loud outside the venue, the Calderon Theater. They were still loud outside. It was like, wow, these guys are loud. Wow. And, uh, and it's not like the rods are shy. Um, you know, about uh, volume. Like I would say, David playing an acoustic guitar is deafening for most people. Right, right. Um, you know, but but uh, but he came out after and, and, you know, hung out. And the guy was just so genuine. And, and he was great with the fans. And, you know, he's really sweet. He's standing with his arm around me. And we'd never met. He was just a, a kind, nice guy, very intelligent. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I just have heard and seen that, that, Till the day he died, he was the same guy, you know. My friends I know right talked to him, would walk up to him, and everybody has the same story. It's like the same about, you know, Ronnie James Deal, you know. Like, uh, I interviewed about Ronnie after his death, and the interviewer said, oh, well, after the, the interview, he said, I was hoping you'd have something bad to say. He said, Vivian Campbell's the only one who's ever had anything bad to say about Ronnie. I was hoping to find more of a balance because everybody just raised about him. I think that's how it was with Lemmy, but... Yeah. It was a thrill to work with those guys, and uh, we're actually collaborating on some other material, so that's fun. Oh, cool. Cool. Exciting. And, you know, you mentioned the Rods and, and, and David. What what are you guys currently up to? What's the status of the Rods? We are leaving April 21st, heading to Amsterdam, and we're doing the very heavy sound in uh, Stad's Canal, which we're excited about. John Roth and the Rods were headlining. And uh, then we travel to Lubeck and hang out with our friends, uh, Dirk Horman. And, and then we're going to travel to Hamburg. And we're going to do a date in Hamburg and trying to find them as we're speaking what dates they are. And, and then we go to Keep It True and we play Keep It True. So that's, those are some European dates we're doing this, this coming month. Cool, cool. And I recently completed reading Scott Ian's book, uh, and I wanted to first ask you if you've read the book. You know, I have not read the book, and it's not something. It's something I would like to do. I just have not gotten around to doing it. Well, you know, you're in the book, obviously, and he um, credits you really as the guy who brought Joey Belladonna to to Anthrax, which really was a probably a decision and, and uh, a, a thing that changed the band's career for the better. Can you talk about where you knew Joey from and how you ended up 
bringing him into the anthrax fold? Well, I it was mentioned in the Thrasher album, which Andrew Duck McDonald and I wrote together. And uh, Andrew, of course, is the uh, was the guitarist for Blue Cheer, Shaken Street, um, Savoy Brown. And, you know, we're still very, very good friends. And, and uh, he... He, when they were, Anthrax was in the studio, and after Neil, they had gone off on tour. We had done the first album with Anthrax, uh, Fistful of Metal. And, and when you say we, on, you, you were producing and... and I produced, right. right, working with the band. So they had gone off on tour, so now it came time to come back into the studio. And at that point, it was No More Neil, and now they had a new singer. And the new singer, we spent a week, you know, I worked with him and really tried hard. And, and this is where I think that over the years, I've worked with a lot of bands and worked with a lot of musicians. And it's like anything, I guess after a while, you just kind of know the ones who have it and the ones who don't have it. And it was clear that Anthrax was the quote unquote band who had it. And one of the things that, I mean, I knew that from day one, but I knew this even more so that they had that go for the throat. Um, you know, we're going to make it no matter what attitude. When after a week in the studio, the singer, he was just young. He was not ready for this. He was just not up to the task on a number of levels. So when I pointed it out to the guys and said, is that going to be the band that's taking you to the major, the singer is going to make, take you to the major label. Um, they said, get Johnny on the phone. And I got John Zazula on the phone and told him what was up. And he said, let me talk to the guys. And the guys went into the conference room and, Five minutes later, they came out and and uh, said, John wants to talk to you. John said, put him on a bus. So now I came out and I had to tell the poor guy who was very, very upset and, you know, certainly not the kind of uh, task you, you relish having to do. But, right, uh, right. But, you know, but, so now we're in the studio and they have no singer and they're hoping to get a major label deal and they have no singer. And the clock's ticking, and they have nothing. So we started looking for singers, and I called Andrew Duck McDonald, and who's always been really great at finding singers. He found Rick Caudle for our Hollywood album, and uh, he said, you know, let me give Joey a call. So got Joey and asked Joey to come in, and the guys, you know, they heard him, and uh, they were they were blown away immediately. It was such an obvious fit the synergy and, and the, the chemistry so definitely the rest of the say is history you know yeah and and with with working with anthrax back in those days you know in, in scott's book um it sounds like initially it was a very positive experience at least the way he puts it but then towards the end I wanted to give you a chance to defend yourself. He, he says things kind of started souring and that, that he accuses you of, of not being at the studio as much as they wanted you to be. And at one point, uh, he says that you approached the band and actually asked them to come help out around your house. You needed help cutting the grass. And uh, is this true? Do you remember this? <laughs> That's the first I've heard of that. Um, I don't recall ever having asked him to do that. Um, 
you know, I, I have heard some of these things over the years, and you know, I, I've really tried to stay away from some of the negativity. I, I will say that that was absolutely not true to my memory. I don't ever remember asking the band to come to the house. And I think this was the confusion, and this is what happens. I want to say it's the pearls before swine. They were young. Right. I don't think they realized that Joey, um, and, and, and also I wanted to say the other thing that they didn't realize. They, they felt that there was a lot of time passing, but they brought in Frank. Frank had never played in the studio. Now, remember, Dan right. Wilker had been in the band. Yes. Now they brought in Frank Bellow, and Frank's a great guy, and he was a great bass player, but Frank was young and inexperienced. So there, and the same with Joey. Joey wasn't used to fast tempos and the timing. You know, it was something he was getting used to, and it was taking time. And I was trying to buy him time. And my mistake in that, in hindsight, was not saying to the band, you know, your bass player needs a lot of time. You just brought in a bass player who's really green, and you know, you're asking him to play this album and for us to make this as tight and as clean as we want. Taking time. And it's the same with the singer. We've got to give them some time to adjust. And they really didn't get that, you know? They really didn't get that. And I think that, and I also don't think they realized some of the things that I did for them. I paid their per diems. Johnny had no money at the time. He was struggling. You know, he had money in the pipeline, but he had no money. I, I have a book of the anthrax per diems that I paid out of my pocket. Right. Uh, several thousand dollars. You know, there were things that I did for the band. I don't think they were aware of at the time. And I think that it was... You know, toward the end, they were unhappy, but I certainly don't recall asking them to, to mow my grass, um, nor would I have expected them to mow my grass. They were young and very um, headstrong, and they were full of themselves, you know? I mean, there was a young arrogance to them that was something that was really gave them the drive and the and the, uh, the attitude they needed to succeed. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes that arrogance um, is what motivates you. It's what keeps you going in spite of, you know, daunting... Uh, odds you know you just forge ahead screw everybody so right. i mean but it's honestly the first time i've ever addressed any of that i've just tried to stay away from it right and and you know what in 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 scott's defense most of what he says about you in the book is is uh in my opinion quite positive especially he totally gives you credit in bringing the amazing joey belladonna into the fold and uh but he does he does also say that you ask them to come cut the grass at your house so uh yeah <laughs> uh en- enough enough of that um Last time you were on the the podcast, we were talking about a song that is off of your uh, Headbanger record, which I really like, and I want to play it for the the Talking Metal listeners again today, called The Cult of the Poison Mind. And you said something in the interview that I never really uh, followed up on when when you said it. This is back in 2014. Uh, You told me that that this song, again, which we're going to hear in a few minutes here... um, it was partly inspired by when you were almost indoctrinated into Scientology. And I wanted to, to just go there a little bit because I, I find that fascinating. And, and is it, can you go into a little more detail about how that almost happened or did happen? Well, I had, I was living in, I think it started in LA, kind of got, getting recruited and then somebody said read Dianetics so I read Dianetics and you know certainly I mean I'm not disparaging or criticizing anyone's religion but 
it certainly had elements of science fiction, religion, psychology, you know, all kind of mishmash together. And uh, so, and a lot of Dianetics makes sense, right? That's what I've heard that, you know, it, it, it can suck people in when you read that book. No, I think that's right. That's right. And it is, it is, uh, there are elements in there. And uh, to one extent, you know, I don't know. But anyway, so that was the case. When I was living in New Jersey, started going and to uh, some meetings and doing some of the sessions with bull baiting and, you know, some of the things that they did. And, you know, you just, it's a level thing with Scientology. So it was all interesting. And then we had a friend who, was very high up in Scientology, he had gone clear, quote-unquote, which is a very high level of consciousness, high state of consciousness, that you achieve over a number of courses, and of course each course is uh, successively more expensive. So it's a very costly thing to go clear for Scientology. And uh, so he was very much all about about Scientology, of course, and at that point it... uh, it kind of struck me as, and it wasn't that I was really being drawn into it because we had stopped it, but um, at that point it really became clear to me, right? It was, <laughs> no pun intended, but it was clear to me that it was not for me and that it did have a certain cult-like mentality to it. And then again, I'm not trying to bash Scientology. I'm just saying that my perspective of it was that it was something more... Um, involved in something other than I cared to get into. It was a little more regimented and a little more um, dogma than I cared to be a part of. Right on, right on. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because I've heard that Billy Sheehan is a, is a Scientologist and has to be one of the nicest guys I've ever met. So I guess whatever works for you, you know? I think there are some great things about it, you know? And I think Billy is a super positive, the nicest guy and incredibly talented and you know, I mean, there's so many Scientologists who are highly successful. So, you know, it's whatever works for you, like you said. I agree. Cool. Well, on that note, we're going to get into that song, which is uh, a, little, a little over a year old, right? When did when did your, your Headbanger record come on, out? came out uh, November of 2014, so right. just over a year ago. Right on. And um, it is the Carl Kennedy solo record, Headbanger. Who plays on that record with you? Uh, a number of great people. John Hahn did almost all the guitar work. Chris Caffrey does some solo work. Um, Mark Tornillo sings three songs and uh, just killed it. Joe Camillo sings. Uh, Dave Porter from 805. Wow. Um, Good lineup. Gary Ch- yeah, Gary Chesick, Nolan Ayers. There's so many people, um, so many friends who contributed to the album. Thrilled. Yeah, really grateful to all of them. Good stuff. And we encourage the Talking Metal listeners to check out Resurgence by St. James featuring Carl Kennedy. And we're going to have links up to the Facebook page for St. James in today's show notes. And right now, this is Cult of the Poison Mind off the 2014 Carl Kennedy solo record, Headbanger. Carl, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Metal. Mark, great to talk to you as always. Cool.
Okay, that song right there was called Cult of the Poison Mind. And uh, interesting to hear from Carl, once uh, once toyed with Scientology. So he uh, he told us a little bit about that at the end of the interview there, Victor. And, and that song, Cult of the Poison Mind, is actually off of his solo record, Headbanger, which came out in late 2014. So there you go. And a big thanks to Carl for joining us and uh, setting the record straight. He uh, he believes he never asked Scott Ian to go cut his grass, which is what, what Scott <laughs> Ian says in, in the book. So, so there you have it. It's funny, you know, memories tend to... Uh, tend to take on their own life for for different people and it, it's even in my life like I, I i know there's friends of mine who i've known for decades like like john astronomy for example like we both have different memories and ideas of of things that we did together like years ago and and uh so who knows who's right on that um you know, but Scott's book is a great read, and I highly recommend it. Co-written by a friend of mine, John Wiederhorn. So, uh, yeah, check out "I'm the Man" by Scotty, and it's a great book. And also check out St. James, Carl Kennedy's new band that he's working with. Resurgence is the name of their record. So, Victor, I, uh, I, you know, you mentioned your your Galaxy of Geeks podcast. How often do do the new episodes come out? Usually every two weeks. Cool. And what has been, I know there was a Star Wars one, which I actually, uh, I think gave you a quote for something that you did right after The Force Awakens uh, premiered. What other topics have you hit? Uh, Star Wars is probably the the main theme because right. everyone involved is such a big, you know, Star Wars uh, fan. Um, we did an episode last night, which was just released today on the season finale of The Walking Dead. Okay. Uh, um, we did, uh, well, we are going to do stuff like um, all, all the comic book movies that are coming out this year, which are going to be like seven or eight different comic book movies. When Game of Thrones comes out, we'll get into that as well. Good, good and, stuff. Uh, did you see um, Batman versus Superman? I have not. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm curious. I, I I thought it was okay. You know. I I, I actually I, I'll go on record saying I really enjoyed it. I honestly did. Okay. Um, however, again, I was hanging with these people last night, and the one guy who's a big DC guy just said it was horrific and the worst thing he'd ever <laughs> seen, and 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 just absolutely shameful. So. I, I, you know, and, and just he was so passionate about it that it, I, I didn't really know what to say. And he was offended that 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 I had even, you know, considered it to be entertaining. <laughs> and I, and like I said, I kind of liked it. I thought it, I thought it was good. It's definitely a little long, but uh, uh, you know, the uh, the Star Wars stuff is always a, a great thing to discuss. And and you know, while I have you here. You know, to get a little off topic here, you know, off off the metal, off the rock music. What what do you think of of some of the the storylines? I wanted to specifically get into the you know the supreme leader Snoke, right? Am I saying that right? Snoke, 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 Snoke. The supreme yeah. leader Snoke. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Because I've heard so many theories about who he may or may not be. And, and I just started reading, well, I didn't just start, I am over halfway through it, but the, uh, the novelization of the force awakens, and it has some additional info on him. One 
bit of info, which I, I can't, I don't really see too many people grabbing hold of online, which I think is, is just huge that, that he is not human, you know? So all these theories, <laughs> oh, well, maybe he is Darth Vader because he has the scar like on his head, or maybe he, uh, is, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the, the kids that was murdered at the, the, what was it? The Jedi temple is that where it was back on uh, in episode three. Maybe he's one of those kids. It kind of blows all those theories out of, out of the, the water because it refers to him as humanoid, but not human in, uh, in the force awakens, uh, novel. And there's also, uh, you know, they included the full script in the novel. I guess now the deleted scenes are being released. Uh, actually were released yesterday. Um, right. But, you know, there's a lot like that, that where he, he, where Snook, uh, Snook or Snook? I always, I'm having like a Snook, right? Snook? <laughs> Snook, like Snoke. Snoke, right, right, right. <laughs> Snoke, um, when Snoke and, and Ren, you know, and Hux is there too, and then he leaves, and then, and then Snoke says to Ren, uh, there's been an awakening, have you felt it? And, um... <laughs> You know, Ren says, you know, says yes, and and they go into this conversation. But in the book, and I'm and I'm guessing it was in the original script too. There's a lot of after Hux leaves the room. There's a lot of lot more dialogue between Ren and um, and uh, Snoke, um, who uh, you know, who basically throws Vader under the bus and says the whole. The whole reason the Empire failed was because Vader screwed it up and let these emotions and, and sentiment for his son come back into the in, into his into his being into his mind and in that if if Vader could have avoided that that the Empire never would have uh, would you know would have never fallen and uh, so some in, interesting info coming back uh, coming through in in the book and and this, I especially found it interesting that they're saying that he is not a human have you have you any theories on who he might be i mean with you telling me that i mean that's gonna throw the door wide open for for it to be Sidious, which a lot of people have talked about right um so 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 Sidious. okay so palpatine you mean yeah yeah But, but but palpatine was human wasn't he but maybe if you're saying that he's He's not human. Maybe that was similar to Vader. That's a almost a reconstructed version of him, or maybe similar to how there are Force ghosts. Maybe that's him from the afterlife or whatever. Right, could be. It just he, it seems like like he would be more like I don't know, like a, some sort of like. Because to me, even Vader is still human, even though he's been re- rebuilt. I mean, I don't. It's, it refers to him as humanoid. I don't know what the definition of humanoid is. I'd have to look that up. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting with going back and and seeing a lot of things that I hadn't before, um, or even the the one animated series they have now, Rebels. It seems as if they're they're trying to almost fill in all these gaps between what Lucas left open and what Disney is now trying to do with, um, with the new storylines. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how rogue one plays into all of this. Right. I heard now Vader is in rogue one. Have you heard that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. And Vader's in, in this, in the animated series rebels as well. He's appeared in 
I think it's two or three episodes. Um, right now, I've seen I've seen like the first three of season one. I haven't kept up on it. It seemed a little hokey to me, but I'm gonna try to give it another another uh, look because I heard that the season two really does pick up, and that, that yeah. I heard the season two finale is is quite awesome. So I need to definitely get on that. Yeah, I w- I would have to agree. It definitely picked up with. Um, Definitely with how the characters have evolved and just their different roles and how a lot of them are trying to almost pull apart from the nucleus that started out in the beginning. So it's it's interesting how they also, like I said, weave in all these different factors that are really left open um, between the prequels and between you know uh, the original Star Wars movie w- with New Hope. So I mean, I don't know how does I've I've asked this before on. On Galaxy of Geeks, how does the animated series ultimately play into Rogue One, for example? Um, Is there anything that feeds into that? Are there any characters that are mentioned? Are there any characters that are, you know, um, the offspring of some of the, the other characters? Because one of the characters, and I forget his name, that, um, that dies at the beginning of Force Awakens. He's the guy that gives the plans to. Um, yeah, he's like Sir Des. Yeah, it's like Sir Takia or something like that. Um, I know who you mean. Yeah, he's supposedly in Rogue One. Okay, that would make sense. Victor, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Lost yeah, you there. The, I dropped out there for a second. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. You you were mentioning the the guy the the older character from the beginning of Force Awakens who is in uh, going to be in Rogue One. Yeah. You said he's supposedly, and then then you dropped out. Okay. So supposedly the the character that gives Poe Dameron the missing link to find Luke. He supposedly, or at least is rumored, to be one of the rebels that's in Rogue One that steals the original Death Star plans. Okay. So he's supposed to be the, the arc between both stories. Right. And, and his character, by the way, is is Lor, Lor San Taka, Tekka. Okay. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, that, 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 that. That that's cool. That's cool. Let's we'll because uh, yeah, you know, he, you know, the in his in his uh, conversation with with Poe, you know, he's talking about the princess and how you know she's uh, she'll always be royalty to me or something like that. So uh, yeah, that that makes sense. Will yeah. Princess Leia be in in uh, Rogue One? Um. That's interesting. Well, if if we're going by the the theories that I just mentioned, she does appear in season two of Rebels, so right. it okay. is okay. possible that she appears in Rogue One as well. I mean, there were rumors they had Carrie Fisher's daughter doing some scenes as Princess Leia. Well, she appears in in Force Awakens. She she or Force Awakens, excuse me. Um, she appears in the background of one of the scenes. Um, right, and I thought she maybe had a bigger scene that was cut, or maybe not. But yeah, she's like walking up, like behind Carrie Fisher in in one of the scenes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right, 
Um, well, I mean, it, it's possible. I, I, I mean, I did hear, like you mentioned, that she had filmed a lot more than, than what actually appears. So mm. um, maybe that's their way of saying that she did some of the pre-production in Rogue One or, or as you're saying, that she's actually going to play a younger version of Leia. Right. Interesting stuff. Cool. So let's get back to metal, to hard rock. Who have you been listening to lately, Victor? Um, I've been listening to, to a few different things. Uh, I think this year is really shaping up to be a great, great year for hard rock and metal. Um, a lot of strong albums have come out. Um, I've been really playing the, the last in line album a lot. Uh, really enjoying that, really enjoying the new album by the cult. I think it's, out of this trilogy that they've released, it's probably the strongest of the three albums, probably the most uh, rock-centric uh, out of the three. And um, and as usual, I'm really enjoying the new Prong album. So right. I'd, those three are my favorite so far. Okay, cool. And who who's in Prong now? Um, Tommy Victor? Yeah, it's still Tommy Victor. Um, this is the first album in a while where he's actually had the same lineup, quote-unquote, for two albums. Um, this lineup didn't record the last album because the last two albums he's come across people that um, that have pretty much played um, multiple instruments. So he, it's been him and basically someone else. Um, but this time around, he he has kept... Um, or he's brought his touring band in to record this album. They've done the, actually they did the covers album that came out last year and they've done this original album. And the two members are, are Jason Christopher and Art Cruz. And okay. I know that they've, they're part of, or they were part of other um, known touring acts. So Right. So Monty Pittman isn't involved anymore? Um, he hasn't been involved in the last two albums. Um, uh, last time that I that I did interview uh, Tommy Victor, he did sort of mention off air that Monty still Monty and him are, are great friends, and that Monty still has you know a decent amount of input uh, regarding the new material and whatnot. He always like sort of bounces things off of him and. Um, and that, that's funny that you bring up Monty because I think his solo album. I mean, I've ever since that album has come out, I've listened to it on a very um, a frequent basis. So I actually really? listened okay. to it. When did that come out? Uh, that came out, I believe, it, it maybe two years ago at this point. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. And have you hit any shows? Do you have like over where you are in Spain? Do you have a, a, a town or city by you where there's frequent shows happening? The the closest um, is Bilbao, uh, which is about an hour away. Um, the last show that I've seen was, or the last show I saw was, I think back in November. Right. Uh, I haven't been to, and I haven't been to a lot just because of all the various projects that I'm working on and trying to get off the ground. So uh, between that and kids, it pretty much takes up uh, all my time. So right on, right on, cool. And, uh, yeah, it's been great having you back on this episode. I hope you can join us again soon. And we're definitely going to encourage all the Talking Metal listeners to check out Mars Attacks and Galaxy of Geeks. 
And what guests are coming up on Mars Attacks? Anybody uh, in in the uh, in the can that we should know about? Yeah, I have a, a bunch of different things that should be coming out within the next few weeks. Everyone from uh, former Overkill guitarist Bobby Gustafson um, to the band Toxic, um, Steve Smythe, who was the guitarist in. Um, in Testament and Nevermore, he has another band called One Machine. I have an interview with him. That'll be out shortly as well. And and a bunch of uh, other things. Um, Max Portnoy from, uh, obviously, um, uh, from Next to None. His father's obviously Mike. Um, right, cool. And there's... there. There's a lot. There, there's close to 20 interviews that I have in the can that should be coming out shortly. And Wow. Yeah, it's un- unfortunately I've like I said I've been dealing with uh server issues and it really didn't make sense for me to upload any of these interviews until everything was sort of set into place and now that everything seems to be working fine um I'm going to slowly start to roll everything out so Cool. All right, guys. Well, we're going to end with a song called Shy Boy written by Billy Sheehan. Uh, I thought it was appropriate being that uh, Carl and I were talking about Scientology. Billy is a Scientologist, and I will go on record with saying he's also one of the nicest guys I've, I've ever I've ever met, and I, I got to hang out with him for almost a whole day, uh, a little less than a year ago, and, and just such a sweetheart, such a great guy, and such an incredible, incredible bass player, uh, Billy Sheehan. This is Shy Boy off of the Eat em and Smile record by David Lee Roth, featuring Billy Sheehan on bass, of course, Steve, Steve Vai on guitar, Greg Bizonet on drums. Here we go, Shy Boy. Shy Boy. 